Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com, movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show because we're talking about The Crow, not the original, no, no, that would make sense. We're talking about The Crow City of Angels from 1996, the sequel to the original Crow. I am joined for this very special episode by The Crow himself, Adam Risky. In the words of Vincent Perez, so sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> that should be the tagline for this podcast. <laughs> Speaking of which, I want to uh, quickly, before we get started, <laughs> I like your Vincent Perez, by the way. Uh, before we get started, I want to thank the person, uh, Otto C., who left a review of our show, a very nice five-star review of our show on Apple Podcasts, and the, the review is one sentence. Just the right mix of nonsense and opinion. And I thought, boy, that's exactly what I'm going for with this podcast, is opinion and nonsense. I like to think I bring the nonsense. Oh, man. I like to bring the nonsense, too, so I hope <laughs> I'm not putting a hat on, on a hat, but we'll see what happens. We'll see. We're doing a whole show on the Crow City of Angels, so it's all nonsense. When uh, I So we need to like take steps back and kind of tell the audience about how this show came about, I think. Because sure. I said on Twitter like that I watched the crow city. So it was something to the effect of, I watched the crow city of angels, like more than anybody else ever has. And then you had mentioned kind of in passing, like we should do a show on it sometime. And then I put in the back of my head, like, Oh, that's funny, but like, we'll never do that. And then <laughs> I put a list together of like, you know, these are shows that I could kind of want to do at some point in the future. And then you texted me and said, Let's do a show on the Crow City of Angels. And I was like, bluff called. <laughs> we'll get to the other titles on your list eventually, but why not start with the good stuff? Well, that is true. We got a peek early. I figured you were watching the Crow City of Angels on a loop because of Mia Kirshner, because your crush was reignited by Love Lights Hanukkah. It really did. But it, this feels like, and, you know, granted, it's a 25 year difference you you would you could have fooled me that this was the same actor in both movies <laughs> well again in love lights hanukkah they really have her styled and her performance is sort of pitched at uh, more of an amy adams and the crow city of angels it's much much more of kind of goth waif thing that she's going for yeah this makes about as much sense nowadays as if like Lacey Chabert played John Doe in Seven. Better movie. Yes, yes. Better. We got to replace. We got to replace Kevin Spacey. So I might as well. And Christopher Plummer is no longer working. So maybe Lacey Chabert. R.I.P. Christopher Plummer. Please replace yes. Kevin Spacey in everything with Lacey Chabert. Yep. Samuel mm -hmm. L. Jackson. Lacey Chabert. The Negotiator. <laughs> Lacey Chabert. Helen Hunt, Haley Joel, <laughs> pay it forward. Pay it forward is like a Hallmark movie. Yes, it does. Boy, I do not like that movie. I used to refer to it as Shiv a Toddler. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Well, how could you forget? It's the best part of Pay It Forward. Oh, rest in peace, you secondhand lion. <laughs> Lacey Chabert, Michael Caine, Secondhand Lions. 
I want all these trailers to be done in like the grindhouse voice too. Robert Duvall's just like, "Why are you taking me out of the movie?" <laughs> Sorry, brother, you got shabared. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um anyway, uh we got F this movie fest coming up in about a week and a half. Uh that is our all day t- live Twitter film festival. We're watching six movies from nineteen eighty eight on March sixth, beginning at ten AM Central Standard Time. We are watching Beetlejuice, Willow, the third movie, is that Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Action yeah. Jackson, They Live, and Die Hard. So it's a pretty killer lineup. Adam, which one are you looking forward to watching as part of the fest the most? Probably Willow, because even though I'm a huge fan of Willow, I've not seen it that many times. And the last time I saw it was maybe like five years ago. So I'm looking forward to revisiting that one. But in terms of the tweets... I think that Action Jackson's going to be pretty off the chain. I think you're right about that. Yeah. Um, so go to fthismovie.com for all of the details and information about F This Movie Fest 6. Adam Risky, have you seen anything good lately? Yeah, I've seen a bunch of stuff. So since we're talking about 1988, I want to start with the Deadpool the last of the Dirty Harry Callahan movies. And this is only the third one that I've seen. I've seen the original Magnum Force and the Deadpool. So I still need to see Sudden Impact and the Enforcer. But I was pleasantly surprised that the Deadpool is basically just like proto-blood work. It's like the old man Eastwood where you can tell he'd rather be eating like cottage cheese out of a cantaloupe than doing like the action (laughs) stuff anymore. And it's more just him, like, going out to dinner and talking to people. And it's got, like, a good cast. It's got, um, like, early performances from Patricia Clarkson and Liam Neeson and Jim Carrey. And there's one scene in the movie that makes the movie worth watching, which is this car chase with a remote control car that's, like, strapped to explosives. So, like, it's through the streets of San Francisco and somehow the killer is controlling this remote control car um, and able to go like from city block to city block chasing, uh, you know, Clint Eastwood and his partner and his partner looks so um, recognizable to me. Like, I'm just like, I know I've seen this guy before, but I can't place it. And the actor is Evan C. Kim. And he is the guy who plays fake Bruce Lee in Kentucky fried movie. Oh, wow. Nice pull. Uh, so that was that was a little fun kind of Easter egg thing. But yeah, the Deadpool is fun. It's like a really silly 90-minute, you know, Clint Eastwood thriller. So I, I enjoyed that one. I haven't seen it since I bought the original Dirty Harry DVD box set uh, probably in like 1999 or 2000. And I went through mm. all the Dirty Harrys. And then the only one I've gone back to rewatch since then is the original. Yeah, I like Magnum Force a lot. Do you like that one? Which one is that? That's the one with, like, the dirty cops. Like, there's, like, a platoon of evil cops. I remember liking all of them to varying degrees, but I don't remember yeah. which one Magnum Force was. Yeah, it was, uh, I think, Tim Matheson was in it. Oh, then for I sure I liked it. That dude That's can like do no my wrong. my mom's number one crush. <laughs> Tim Matheson? Really? She's got a shot. Yeah, yeah. 
I don't know. I don't want her to like to try, but <laughs> you know, you're very loyal to your dad, which I appreciate. Yeah, yeah. My dad greater than or equal to Tim Matheson. <laughs> um, I've never met Tim Matheson. I'm just saying, you might be a prince. Who knows? But um, and then I watched uh, uh, a new movie called Shadow in the Cloud, which was. Um, co-written by max landis oh boy but apparently it was rewritten like completely by the director who i forgot what her name was um and so i apologize for that but um she does a really good job of like putting this movie together um it's like not a great movie but it's one of those like fantastic fest buzzy type of like overlord type of world war ii movies but I liked it more than Overlord. And basically what it's about is um, it's World War II. Chloe Grace Moretz um, hitches a ride on like a transport plane in World War II. And then like they put her in the gunner's station that's like underneath the plane. So it's like this little circle. And it's strapped to like the, the guns and everything like that. And there's a gremlin that's on the plane and the gremlin is doing like what the twilight zone, the movie gremlin is doing where it's like ripping up the mechanical pieces and the gremlin special effect is awesome. It's really, really cool looking and the movie's fun and it's got good action in it. And Chloe Grace Moretz is, is pretty, pretty solid as like an action hero, which I've never thought of her as before. Um, The only problem with it though, is like around the midway point of the movie, it goes, real silly with like the special effects and like the suspension of disbelief. There's like a choice that they make where somebody's like crawling outside of an airplane. And I'm just like, Oh no, yeah. <laughs> it was like relatively believable. And then it goes full, like princess Leia flying in outer space. And it's like, I don't know, but it gets me back in the end. So okay. overall for like a $2 red box rental, it's, it's not a bad choice. Okay. Um, the director's name is Roseanne Liang. Yes, that's it. And I was holding off on watching it so as to not put any money in Max Landis's pocket, but I'm hoping it hits some sort of streaming service to which I subscribe, a Netflix or a Hulu, if you will, because I am interested to check it out. The way I see it, I gave $1 to Liang and $1 to Chloe Grace Moretz. I am in favor of that. Yeah. Um, and then I watched birthday girl for the first time, yeah, which you did. was like way better than I ever heard that it was like the reputation on that movie was like either no reputation or that it was kind of like, you're good. You don't need to watch it. But then when I watched it, I was like, this is like, a, it, it's like a Jonathan Demi movie that Jonathan Demi didn't make. <laughs> and that doesn't have music in it. <laughs> it's like really darkly funny and the performances are all great. And it's this, it's a type of movie that like has surprise after surprise after surprise Mm -hmm. going for it. So I, I really dug it. I thought that one was really good. That was on HBO max. Yeah. I've been a fan of that one since I think Erica and I went to see that in the theater and we were, you know, among the 10 people who saw it theatrically, but I've always been a big fan of it. I really like Nicole Kidman in it. I really like Ben Chaplin in it. And I remember really liking, kind of where it lands the last shot yeah yeah the last shot's really good and vincent cassell's like an oh awesome yeah he's villain. great so and yeah, isn't the a, other guy is the other guy matthew katsovitz 
Yeah, director of Babylon AD. <laughs> That's right, who disowned Babylon AD. He shouldn't have. That movie's awesome. <laughs> it's not awesome. It's not but awesome, it's but I like it like you like it. So yeah. it was fun to read your piece with Rob on that because I was much more in your camp than Rob's. Yeah. Um, and then I've just been like going through like all these movies that I've been meaning to watch or rewatch on HBO Max, which is by far my favorite streaming service. It's, it's pretty amazing. amazing, yeah. It's got so many just like random catalog titles, and the most random of which is one that I finally watched, <laughs> 1995's The Amazing Panda Adventure. <laughs> finally. And I don't mean to... I know that I have somewhat of a captive audience here. I know that there's like 15 of you who are like, if Risky recommends it, I got to give it a shot. So this is going out to those 15 people. The Amazing Panda Adventure rules. (laughs) It's like the technical craft of it for this dopey kids movie is unbelievable. And then I'm like, who is the cinematographer for this like Lawrence of Arabia looking masterpiece? And it was Jack Green who is the cinematographer for Trapped in Paradise and is the Clint Eastwood cinematographer. Hey, now, look so, at all these worlds colliding. And then Stephen Lang is the is the deadbeat dad. Slang. And the kid, slang, and the kid is Ryan Slater, who's like the half-younger brother of Christian Slater. And he's giving, like, this Mickey Rourke, Pope in Greenwich Village <laughs> performance where, like, half the time you're like, what is he doing? And then half the time you're like... This kid's amazing. <laughs> and um, there's all this like panda peril, but like the panda is clearly like not even like a plushie. It's like a plushie backpack because it's always like on the kid's back and it's clearly like a panda backpack. <laughs> so they're like falling off of ladders and it's a waterfalls. And I'm like, how is the panda surviving any of this? But it's solid. It's like, WB knew exactly what they were doing with these 90s kids movies. Mm-hmm. Like, they had scale, they had they were, they were epics and size and scope, as Ben Lyons might say. <laughs> um, so I really dug it. It was fun. It was, like, bushwhacked level good. So if that if that makes sense to you, then this movie's for you. I've never seen um, bushwhacked. Bushwhacked is solid. Yeah. Bushwhacked is like the fugitive for kids. <laughs> Um, and then I rewatched Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book. That's uh, Stephen Summers right. movie that he did. And he like you could tell like this is sort of planting the seeds for what he did in The Mummy later. And it's just like a really well directed adventure movie. It's like much more like an Indiana Jones throwback than it is like a it borrows characters from The Jungle Book. But it's like really not the Disney Jungle Book story at all. Um, and I used to like it a lot, but like, I hadn't seen it in a really, really long time. And then I was thinking when I revisited the movie, it wasn't going to hold up, but it really did. It was fun. And Carrie always gives like a really fun villain performance. It's probably like my favorite of his bad guy roles. So I would recommend that that's on HBO max also. And then the last one is a movie that I don't know if I've seen before because certain things in it. I remembered, but a lot of it I didn't. But I watched it this afternoon on Disney Plus, and that was The Three Musketeers from 1993. Oh, yeah. I just We showed that to our kids a couple months ago. It's so good. Yeah, it kind of rules. Yeah, I really liked it. And it made me, like, 
look up other movies that Stephen Herrick did, and I'm thinking that he might be another Stephen Hopkins. He's not quite. He's got some good ones, but then he's got, like, Rockstar and Life and something like it, right? Yeah. 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 But he also did, like... Bill he's and got Ted's Critters and Bill and Ted. Yeah, like, he's got some Mr. good Holland's ones. Mr. Opus is good. No. Mighty Ducks is good. <laughs> oh, that's right. He did Mighty Ducks. Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, which was shot on VHS. <laughs> it does have a weird look, doesn't it? It's like the weirdest looking movie that I've it ever is. seen. It's got um, weird. It's got like BBC photography. Yeah, it's very strange. It's like shot in like 96 frames per second or something. <laughs> like, they're doing something weird. He was groundbreaking. But he was. But this was also like, it was like the Chris O'Donnell performance that walked so Robin could run. (laughs) So I really like, he's good in it. And like, I thought it was funny that like out of nowhere, the introduction for Charlie Sheen's character is that he's trying to like bang a chick. Cause of course, cause it's Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's really good. It's got Michael Wincott in it. So I figured we should mention him because he's (laughs) mentioned on every episode. (laughs) Wincast. Wincast, yeah. I was thinking of doing like a series of columns highlighting character actors, but the ser- the series would be called Wild. The first one would be called Wild for Wincod, and then everyone would be like Wild for so and so. Got it. I like it. All right. I might do it. But also, great thing about Three Musketeers is the score by, I think it's Michael Kamen, does the orchestral version of all for one by sting brian adams and rod stewart throughout mm-hmm. the movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then it crescendos at the end with the full song yeah it's a credit. real it's a real prince of thieves maneuver there it's yeah it's very calculated but it's very satisfying <laughs> no i that cast is amazing i really like that movie and i just recently i've been going through the peter hyams filmography for a piece that i'm slowly working on and i recently watched his adaptation of the musketeer and it really made me appreciate the 93 one. Yeah, I never saw The Musketeer. Is it bad? It's kind of bad, yeah. Yeah, that's too bad. There's some decent action, like, here and there. But the guy who plays the lead... Um, shoot. I'm looking up his name now because I can't remember it because that's... The Justin Chambers is his name. That's the impression that he left. I, I just, I, I, you rarely see a movie with as low charisma a performance at its center. And I know he's like a famous actor. He's been in a lot of stuff. He was on Grey's Anatomy for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. But boy, I, he didn't work at the center of this movie. And he's just one of the problems with the movie, but. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, what can you do? Yeah. What have you been watching? Well, I randomly... Erica and I uh, watched the Steven Spielberg War of the Worlds like a week or two ago. And I was putting Mm. it back on the shelf. And right next to the spot where it was in was Warcraft, which I bought at like a Black Friday sale for maybe three dollars from best buy four years ago or more and uh 
I had never seen it, and I was like, this is the time for me to finally see Warcraft. I've never played World of Warcraft. I know nothing about the game, but I was curious to see what sort of a Duncan Jones blockbuster looked like, because I loved Moon, and I liked Source Code, and I was kind of interested to see how he graduates to a big-budget movie. Um, he does what he can with it, but I just definitely have a threshold for fantasy, and Warcraft mm -hmm. is way over my threshold. Yeah, I saw it in theaters, and I remember that it was – the way I described it was that it was, like, the most inside baseball fantasy movie ever. Where, like, if you knew every detail of Warcraft, you probably would get a lot out of it. But for somebody like me who was a novice, I was I was lost. Yeah, there's a lot of characters and a lot of storylines and a lot of stuff to keep straight and a lot of magic. I thought Paula Patton – came away unscathed. I liked her. I liked some of the stuff with the orcs. I almost called Paula Patton Paula Poundstone, by the way, which is a very different movie with her playing She's a half-orc. So <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I can't really recommend Warcraft. I was really hoping it would be kind of like a John Carter secret success, mm. but it's not. When I saw that, it was at the Neighborhood Theater by me, which used to be one of those dine-in theaters where, like, you could order dinner. And they would only bring you the check at about, with, like, 20 minutes left in the movie. And I remember wanting to leave Warcraft, but then, like, I couldn't because they didn't bring the check yet. <laughs> and I had to, like, go track somebody down. And I was like... I've got an emergency and I need to leave. Can I get my check? And they're just like, is everything okay? I'm like, yeah, it's got nothing to do with your theater. I just don't want to watch Warcraft anymore. <laughs> I need to get this out of my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I watched I Care A Lot, which is a new movie on Netflix starring Rosamund Pike. A lot of people are referring to it as sort of a spiritual sequel to uh, Gone Girl because – she once again plays sort of a sociopath. I don't even want to say too much about the plot because I knew nothing going in. I knew she was kind of a con artist. Um, she plays a woman who basically makes a living putting senior citizens in homes and taking over their estates. Um, and she does it to Diane Wiest and gets more than she bargained for. And even that's probably saying too much. Peter Dinklage shows up in a supporting role. Uh, it has a lot of twists and turns. I, for like the first hour or so, I was kind of on board because I didn't know where it was going. And I was kind of interested in this game of one-upsmanship that it seems to be playing between these characters who are trying to out-bad one another. Uh, and then at a certain point, I thought it just kind of goes off the rails and becomes very uninteresting and ends up in a really silly place, I thought. Um, very mixed reactions I've seen online. Some people really liking it. Some people saying it's downright terrible. I don't agree that it's terrible, but I can't say that I really loved it. Okay. Yeah. I'm not... I don't know. Rosman Pike kind of makes me not want to watch stuff more than want to watch stuff. So I wasn't, I, I was kind of waiting to hear more reactions to it before diving in. Yeah, I'm indifferent. I really liked her in Gone Girl. I thought she was really good in that. Um, but I'm not going to go watch like radioactive just because she's in it. Yeah. As much as I'm interested in Marie Curie. Well, that's before we start rolling. 
Patrick talks a lot about vaccinations and yeah, <laughs> we gotta do at least 10 minutes of Madame Curie talk. Yeah. Um, and of course, a lot of vaccination talk. Uh, because we watched The Crow City of Angels twice, both of us, four times between us, uh, I also watched The Crow Wicked Prayer because you had texted me something that made me think you were watching it. So I was like, oh, then we're going to talk about it. I had better watch it. And then I found out you bailed on it. <laughs> After yeah. I had already sat through the whole thing. And it is one of the most fascinatingly bad movies I've ever seen in my life. It has an insanely overqualified cast, uh, with the exception of Edward Furlong, who's just about as qualified as he should be. Well, I guess Tara Reid, too. No, no one in it is that great, to be fair, actually. <laughs> uh, Emmanuel Shrieky is in it, and I'm a fan of her. Dennis Hopper shows up in the weirdest supporting role you've ever seen. Macy Gray has about 90 seconds of screen time. Edward Furlong desperately miscast as the crow wearing like ill-fitting clothes and just sort of slouching his way through the movie. David Boreanaz uh, is counting his paycheck on screen, just his eyes vacant. <laughs> um, it's so weird. It combines all this like Native American mythology with, but there's not a single like indigenous person in the cast. I don't believe um danny trejo like plays one of them they just they're, they're casting like whatever anyway um there's like a satanic cult all the characters are named like pestilence and war and death and famine uh and they're all played by like tito ortiz the ufc guy or the guy who played either tank or dozer in the matrix i don't would, would, who's the Ooh. one that got who's the one that got fired Oh, God. I think Tank. Okay, so then it's Tank. It's the one that got fired, who talked himself out of a job in the Matrix sequels. Oops. Um, so everybody in it is somebody, but they're all in this horribly bad movie that I almost encourage people to watch because it's so fascinatingly terrible in such fascinating ways. I couldn't make any sense of it, and I'm, like, a pretty good movie watcher. But I couldn't mm -hmm. understand what characters were doing or why they were doing it. Uh, it is a lot of nonsense. There are two reasons why I didn't go through with watching it. One is I haven't seen The Crow Salvation, so I was like, I probably should see that before I see Wicked Prayer, which in hindsight is ridiculous because, like, every one of these movies is the same movie. Yes. Um and two is the header image on HBO Max for The Crow Wicked Prayer is – Edward Furlong dressed up in crow makeup and it's it's not something that I wanted to invest my time in. No, no, I don't blame you for bailing on yeah. it at all. Uh because Edward Furlong should not be the crow at all. And he's not even like he's bad in the movie, he's just miscast. Yeah. I don't know. I I can't like think of him as anything other than it used to be as anything other than John Connor, but now it's as anything other than the out of control celebrity I saw at Monster Palooza. <laughs> Why was he out of control? He like was doing a, a Terminator Q and A with the cast of T two and the first Terminator, and he said something. I don't know if it was provoked by a question or if he just wanted to say this, but he said, "He's like, yeah, I was like." 11 or 12 years old and then i saw linda hamilton and they said 
she's going to play your mom. And I said, that's my mom. I'd hit that. Wow. And then, like, when he was there, he was, like, followed by, like, this harem of, like, (laughs) con attendees who were, and I was just like, oh, no, guys, this isn't the leader that you should be following. (laughs) And they were like, (laughs) All outside, like, smoking cigarettes, and I don't know. I'm sure he's, like, maybe he's a nice guy. I don't know. But I didn't want to meet him, and that's all I can think about when I think about Edward Furlong, though. Um, Wow. All right. I think of him as that weird CGI creation in Terminator Dark Fate. He was good in that. He was good in that. I did not like that movie. No. No. Also at that Q&A, one of the producers for the new one was there. And this was like two months before Dark Fate came out. And he was just like, as people were leaving, he was just like, this is the real Terminator 3. You guys should watch it. Okay. We were like, sure. All right. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> um, and then the last movie that I'll talk about is uh, I wanted to watch a movie based on a hugely popular cult comic book. That's a sequel to an original film, uh, that was very popular, but for some reason, the sequel just doesn't work for no reason. Did I want to watch that kind of a movie? So I watched, uh, the crow city of angels. No, I'm just kidding. I watched sin city, a dame to kill for. I forgot that even existed. Most of America did. Uh, I had seen it once before and couldn't remember any of it, so I rewatched it. And I'm fascinated by it because I can't understand why it doesn't work. I think maybe, like, it's not as bad as I thought it was, and also Sin City isn't as good as I thought it was. I think there's more of a middle ground. Because it's like 100 minutes long, it feels like 300 minutes long. Uh, but it's really the same creative team. Robert Rodriguez, again, co-directing with Frank Miller, Frank Miller, writing it based on his stories. Much of the same cast has returned. Those who haven't like Clive Owen have been replaced by good actors like Josh Brolin. Uh, Michael Clark Duncan has been replaced with Dennis Haysbert. So the cast is pretty stacked because of the way Robert Rodriguez makes movies, he can get all these really terrific actors and shoot their stuff in a day or two, and they can be on a green screen, and they never have to see one another, actually. Um, But it just weirdly falls flat, and I guess it must be kind of a narrative thing. There's a middle story uh, involving Josh Brolin, once again playing Dwight, and Eva Green has a large role in it, which makes sense because Eva Green seems like she was born or like genetically created to play a femme fatale in a movie, especially like a black and white movie. And, and sh- the camera shoots her very, very beautifully, obviously, in this black and white photography. Um, and she's good. And Josh Brolin is good. And Rosario Dawson is good. And Powers Booth is good. Everybody's good. But for some reason, none of it really works. I I can't figure it out. I think it just has to be a script thing, like a narrative thing. Yeah, I, I don't remember it real well, but when it came out, I was, yeah, just like oddly indifferent to it, which was crazy because I was such a big fan of Sin City when it came out. And obviously, you know, having, because when did it come out, like 2014? 2015? Yep, 2014, yeah. 
Okay, so yeah, like nine years is too big of a gap between that that movie and the sequel. But uh, yeah, it's just kind of forgettable. I didn't think it was bad either. Like, I didn't think it was terrible either. I remember thinking it was just kind of there. I feel like it got really ripped apart critically. And I know it made no money. It made no impact. Um, and it's, you know, part of the ongoing narrative that, hey, Robert Rodriguez has lost whatever he had. He seems to have picked some mojo back up directing The Mandalorian. I haven't gotten to any of his episodes because I think I'm still on, like, episode three. Um, so I'm happy to see. And you know, we both liked Alita Battle Angel, another movie that I hoped mm-hmm. Warcraft would be, by the way. It's another, like, sneaky John Carter movie. Um yeah. So it's not like he's completely lost it. I'm wondering, I'm going to have to rewatch Sin City for an upcoming episode because Erica and I are doing our 2005 episode. And I'm wondering how it's going to hold up. I haven't seen it in a number of years. Yeah, I rewatched it maybe like two or three years ago and it definitely was a young man's movie. Yeah, that's what I'm expecting. Yeah, I just didn't have much patience for it anymore because it was like... Yeah, it's like Alexis Bledel, as you've never seen her before. It's like, this meant <laughs> so much to me in 2005. <laughs> I was blown away by it but in 2005, but yeah, I'm guessing I yeah. won't be now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which makes a good segue to The Crow, City of Angels, a movie that did not blow me away in 1996 when I saw it on opening night. And... Uh, well, I won't say how I feel about it now. I will turn to you, Adam. Why did we decide to do a show on this movie? Well, I I think it's a movie that occupies a special phenomenon for me, which I don't know if other I'm sure other people share this, not necessarily with this movie, but just in general, where it's better because it's bad than if it were good. Does that make sense? I understand what you're saying. I don't know if I agree with it in terms of it's it applying to the Crow City of Angels, but I think I understand this phenomenon that you're talking about. Because the Crow, the original, was perfect for what it was. Like, I think it's not a perfect movie, but I think for, like, the dark, gothic comic book movie, it's it, it succeeds entirely on what it's trying to do. And I think that it's very specific to its time. It's sort of like one of the most prominent grunge alternative <laughs> era era yeah, right. movies. Um, it's a great showcase for, you know, Brandon Lee, um, a legacy type of showcase for him, unfortunately. Um, and it's it, it's a movie that even though I don't think it's one of the best movies I've ever seen, it's a movie that I maybe have seen more than many movies that I think are the best movies I've ever seen. <laughs> I, I watch The Crow so much. Like, I probably see The Crow, like, anytime it's on TV or anytime it pops up on a streaming service, like, I'll stop and watch it. You know why? And why? Wincott. Um, oh, well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, also, you know, STP, Wincott. You know, I'm chasing a lot of drinks. It's got everything you love. <laughs> it does. It really does. Um, and The Crow City of Angels is, like... Like, do you remember? I don't remember the exact line, but going back to 1988, remember in Twins where they basically say something like Arnold Schwarzenegger is like the perfect specimen and like Danny DeVito <laughs> is the shit left over? That's City of Angels. 
That's City of Angels. <laughs> but it's more interesting and lovable to me because it's the shit left over than if it was this respectable sequel to The Crow. Like, if it was Jaws 2, I wouldn't like it as much. But because it's immediately, like, I don't know, like uh, Superman 4, I kind of love it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't love this movie. Um I had to watch it twice because I watched it less than a week ago. And by the time it was almost time to record this show, the whole movie was a blur in my mind. I couldn't really remember much of it, if any of it. So I rewatched it again today and it's like a weird shouty shitty cover version of the crow and at one point, I was like, oh, you know what? If Rob Zombie directed a movie in 1996, I think it would be <laughs> The Crow City of Angels. Like, in terms of the aesthetic, everything is kind of piss yellow. In terms of yeah. the performances, where everybody's just shouting, fuck you at each other, everyone's over the top. And I say this as somebody who really likes Rob Zombie's movies, Um but I could see this being his first movie. And I think it popped into my head because White Zombie has a song featured prominently on the soundtrack. And I was like, oh, that's what this is like. This is like a very early, like, Rob Zombie student film version of The Crow. Yeah. Yeah, the cinematography is very much like, what if The Crow had mono? <laughs> <laughs> and And... I guess some of this is unfair, right? Because doing a little bit of reading and you and I texted a little bit about this, um, yeah. the movie was taken away from director Tim Pope and screenwriter David S. Goyer, who at one point I was like, well, it's got to be good. It's written by David S. Goyer. And I no longer hold that to be true <laughs> because he's <laughs> written a lot of shit. Um, they essentially disowned the movie because it was taken away from them by the brothers Weinstein and recut as was their way so often in the nineties and two thousands. Um, I don't remember what movie I was writing about, but once upon a time I was writing about a movie that experienced something like this, where like there were massive reshoots and re-edits and it was taken away and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to paraphrase myself. Uh, because I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was something along the lines of like, it's not our job to solve a murder. It's our job to examine the corpse. And that's all mm -hmm. we can do. We can't really talk about alternate versions of this movie. There's a fan edit that exists on YouTube that I didn't have a chance to watch. There's a director's cut that runs about eight minutes longer. Uh, that I I watched it. You had a chance to see on DVD, but supposedly yeah. there's some like, 142 minute version of this movie that exists. I don't know how to find it. I definitely would have watched it if I could have, because I'm fascinated by this idea, but like, so I know that the, the, the blame cannot be laid at the feet of Tim Pope and David S. Goyer. We can't necessarily speak to the movie that could have been. All we could do is talk about the movie that exists and the movie that exists. I don't think works. Yeah, it, it it's not something I'll disagree with you on at all. Um, like, and as you said, we can't we can't review the movie that does that we haven't seen, which is the hundred forty something minute version of it. I know what they said. Like that movie was a lot less of a revenge movie and much more of like this 
romance movie. So there's like little seedlings in it of the current version where you can see like, oh, they brought they stretched these things out like Mia Kirshner, who plays Sarah. So it's the teenage girl from the first crow is now grown up. And that's um, the only connection, weird. right? And like, yeah, that's and fascinating. Gabriel, fascinating to me that she just meets another crow. She's a total crow magnet. Yeah, she's like the cue to the crows. <laughs> but like in the in the work print edit, supposedly like she's got visions, and that's why there's the painting. So she's like a prophecy, sort of similar to how the main villain of this movie has like his own Oracle. That's kind of like the witch from Robin, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves second mention, but yeah, she totally is. Yeah. I was um, waiting for Morgan Freeman to come in and just whip a sword at her. Yeah. But it was supposed to be like this romance and like what ends up happening to Mia Kirshner at the end of the movie is supposed to have a lot more meaning because then Vincent Perez, when he's, you know, righted the wrongs, he goes back to his son, but then he also goes to to Sarah because now she's dead too, so she's in the in the afterlife with him. And sure, I mean, like, great. I'm glad that you basically, you know, tried to make something out of you to make your own movie, to set out your own vision. Glad about that. The the Weinsteins um, as they want, were want to do, they said, what is this? Just remake The Crow. <laughs> exactly, right. Do it and again, but this down. time with America's beloved Vincent Perez. Who I don't think I've seen in any other movies except for this and Queen of the Damned. He's in Queen of the Damned? Apparently he is. I know I saw Queen of the Damned once and I was like not a fan of it at all. I totally like rented Queen Margot. Um, as a young man, because yeah. I think he had been announced that he was going to be the new crow. I was like, well, before I see Vincent Perez as the new crow, I got to see the movie that gave him his start, Queen Margot. And I remember liking Queen Margot, but it's been, I don't know, you know, 25 years since I saw it. Um, but that's the only other thing, other thing I've seen with Vincent Perez. And, uh, I don't love him in this movie. I don't either, and I don't know how much of it's really his fault because, like, he didn't – he had to have a dialect coach from what I read, like, on the set. So maybe he was, like, saying these lines phonetically in some cases. Yeah. He said that he based his performance on Hamlet and Jim Morrison, which I found interesting. <laughs> that does not come across in the movie at all. Are you sure? Um, give me some death. <laughs> I am the crow. Give me the boy <laughs> My favorite, um, there's two things that he says in the movie that make me laugh, like, for about 30 seconds straight. One is when he's, like, fighting Thomas Jane, and he does this one, like, thing that doesn't land at all, where he's like, one crow, sorrow, two crows. No, it does <laughs> not work at all. It's like when he all of a sudden whips out a deck of cards. <laughs> Like, he yeah. becomes the Joker all of a sudden. Pika card. His character is a, ma a former mechanic slash magician instead of Eric Draven being a musician. Uh, do they say that in the movie? Yeah. When do they say well, that? I, <laughs> I feel I like know. you read that. Because I watched okay. this thing twice in the last week, and neither time did I pick up on the fact that he was a mechanic or a magician. 
I don't know. I was but, like, um, this guy's definitely a cross between Hamlet and Jim Morrison. <laughs> I like the scene where he's fixing his bike and they show his kid and the kid's just wearing like a shirtless vest. And I'm just like, why didn't I try to pull that off when I was his age? Shirtless vest? Like, shirtless vest. They show yeah. him fixing a bike. I guess I should have known he was a mechanic. His Croder cycle. <laughs> By the way, I love punning the word crow with things. So that's been the unfortunate recipient to most of that for several years has been Mike Pomero. <laughs> Who, like, Lucky when we were Mike. walking around Flashback Weekend, I was just like, hey, did you see that throw blanket? Crow throw. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to get these crowsters? And they're like these coasters right. with Brandon's space on them. Yeah. They should have had Vincent Perez on them. They should have, yeah. He, although he got, he got a lot of crow merch in his name because, like, there was trading cards and there was... The Crow video game for, for like, PlayStation 1 was based off of City of Angels. Oh, not wow. The yeah. And apparently it's, like, known as one of the worst, like, 3D video games ever. Because this was, like, right after the era, era. era of the side-scroller being over. Like, the flat screen. Got it. Know, just, like, walking from one side to the other. And this was, like, when you had, like, all the 3D cameras where you can do, like, all the POV stuff. And apparently, like, you couldn't move back or forth, like, with the control. And, like, you would get shot and killed all these times, even though the crow is, like, invincible. But it's because you can't, like, aim anything. So, I don't know. If you're interested in that, there's a really funny angry video game nerd video on YouTube about the, about the video game. Well, but I also love in that, that a... scene with the it only makes sense that a shitty video game should be inspired by a shitty movie. Totally. Yeah. Um, although there is one piece of merch that is great, which I'll get to in a little bit. It's the soundtrack. But um, the thing I did want to mention, though, is in the scene where he's fixing the Croder cycle, he, the kid is painting a picture and he's just like, look, dad. And then Vincent Perez is like, what's that? And the kid's like, a blue sun. And then he goes, a blue song. <laughs> and that part makes me laugh. Like, this is this is in the director's cut, yes? No, it's in the theatrical, too. When is it in the theatrical? I just watched this movie today. I do not remember this. It's very ephemeral, Patrick. Don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> All I remember him is being like, I am the Lizard King. <laughs> I am wrecked with indecision. Like Hamlet. Because you are in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Pick Turn a card. Around, Pick a card. I see you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This is yeah. this fucking movie. Um, no, no. Um, but, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I really love this movie. I don't know what to tell you. Did you know that John Bon Jovi auditioned to play The Crow? I think I read that, which is fascinating that they didn't go with him because he at least has some name recognition. Yeah. He must have been, like, really bad in the audition to not cast Bon Crovey. <laughs> <laughs> Just waiting to get that one out. He's like, I'm going down in a blaze of Crovey. <laughs> and then they show, like, him making, like, the crow out of fire. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of uh, 
fire crows in these movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, um, the bad guy is completely uninteresting to me. Yeah, he's not good. Uh, the henchmen are, like, so over the top. Thomas Jane, I think, is didn't know they were making a movie. Uh, I think that's just Thomas Jane walking around with a wig, jerking off in nudie booths. I'm going to have to disagree with you on that. Like, we saw the same performance, but my enjoyment of it was much higher. Because um, I feel like peep shows and, like, furious token acting is, like just what he does and like, murdering it's just, kids it's like that's his thing he's like sure i'll kill a kid i did it here i do it in the mist I, i'm all about shooting kids yeah he did have a a, a big kid killing run yeah i don't know and uh what's call it he's he's choking his crow to um dr <laughs> weir's wife in event horizon oh for real yeah that's her i did not put that together but choking his crow is a good euphemism it's Jane's addiction. <laughs> but I'm thinking of Thomas. I've been caught jerking once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> been caught jerking. He's uh. just like, so, Tim, what should I do in this scene here? <laughs> and he's just like, I want you to be caught up in. In lust. Yeah. And then the girl in the peep show, and then he's just like, so you want me to choke my crew? <laughs> here's, a, here's a random anecdote. Um, when I was, like, in high school, I wrote a screenplay. This is such a stupid anecdote, but when I was in high school, I wrote a screenplay, and at one point, uh, it was like a, roman- a, a romantic movie. Um, and at one point, the the main girl puts her head over the main guy's chest and listens to his heartbeat and she says is that for me and he says yeah and then i go to see crow city of angels opening night (laughs) thomas jane whips his hard dick out and starts jerking it and uh dr who's wife who's the wife Uh, dr weir dr weir's wife says Uh, is that for me (laughs) i was like you gotta be fucking kidding me this movie just ruined the one thing i liked in my shitty high school screenplay because now i will forever associate it with thomas jane's hard dick that's like when i heard this song by wolf mother and i thought it was like the greatest song ever and i'm like this should be in a movie and then like the next night i saw shrek 3 and it was in it and i was like i'm, I'm a fraud i'm a fraud that often would happen to me for a long time and, and you can people can like message erica or hit her up on twitter or something like for proof because there would be all these songs that I would like put on tapes for her or just tell her like, Oh, I want to use this in a movie someday. I want to use this in a movie someday. And then we'd go see something and they would totally use it in a movie. But it was rarely like your experience where it was like, where they would use it in a really shitty movie. Usually it was like, Oh, they beat me to it and and they did it really well. And so now I can never do that as opposed to like hearing wolf mother in Shrek three, which is a sentence I don't (laughs) even understand. You're welcome. <laughs> Speaking of movies and music, what do you what do you think of Iggy Pop in The Crow City The of scariest Angels? thing in The Crow City of Angels <laughs> is Iggy Pop's veiny body. He is nothing but vain and sinew. He is so terrifying. He is made of pure beef jerky 
And uh, I think he's fine. Like, his performance is bug-eyed and over-the-top, but so is everyone else's. Yeah, I think he acquits himself the best of the villains, and he's obviously the this movie's version of, is it David Patrick Kelly? Kelly? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I always am afraid I'm going to call him the, the creator of Ally McBeal, <laughs> whatever his name is. Or is that the same name? Uh, David E. Kelly created Allie McBeal and more importantly wrote Lake Placid. They, thank you. Yes. Um, I think the Iggy Pop stuff is the best stuff in the movie. Um, it's got the one scene that I would argue just works as a scene, which is the motorcycle chase. I think it's pretty cool. Crotorcycle? The Crotorcycle. I like the <laughs> Ducatis. This movie makes me want to have a Ducati. So, so there you go. Uh, yeah, the motorcycle chase is okay. I mean, come on. Like, after you see that, you don't want to, like, go on the Kennedy dressed as the crow, like, on a motorcycle and be Chicago crow. Um, no. No. I had a friend who was obsessed with the crow back in high school, like, the J.O.Bar comics. Oh, okay. And he was obsessed with the Brandon Lee movie, and we used to just shoot these goofy movies, like, in my backyard and stuff. And one night on Halloween, he showed up as the crow. And we're like, well, let's make a movie with the crow. And another friend was dressed as Jason Voorhees. So it was like Jason versus the crow. <laughs> and we it started out like kind of serious, the movie. But the more I was left to be in charge of it, the more stupid it got to the point where I, in every scene, would make him announce what he was doing and then say, and I'm the crow. So it would be like, I'll save you. And I'm the crow. <laughs> And I felt bad because I felt like I was taking the piss out of him really loving the crow by turning it into something stupid. But uh, hopefully he still holds uh, some affection for it. I I've... feel like your friend who dressed up as the crow should have been friends with me because I one time dressed up as the crow and was at my friend's house. Nice. Did you have to say, yeah. and I'm the crow after everything? Like, can you give me a soda? And I'm the crow. I, yes, but I swear to God, I'm not trying to top your story, but no. I think this story is pretty good. So, like, me and my friend Frank were, like, super into the crow. And there was this one moment in the first crow where he, like, does this dive off of a roof and kind of flips in midair and then lands into, like, a trash dumpster. Do you remember that? Kind of. Okay. It's the scene, like, right before he kills Tintin. So, like, he jumps you, off You've the seen the crow way more times than me. Yeah, he does like a he makes flippy, he does a flippy flip, and then like he falls, and then he starts laughing in the dumpster. So it's the crow dive. So me and Frank were like, we should do crow dives. <laughs> so we dressed <laughs> up as the crow, but we probably just looked like idiots because we had like we couldn't do the makeup real well because we were twelve. So like we just looked like you know idiots wearing like flannels and like <laughs> face painted white, <laughs> and. I went up in his tree and I jumped off of his tree and I was like, I'm going to land in your hammock because he had a hammock that was. It sounds like a euphemism. Yeah. Well, hey, we were 12. Careful. Oh, so good point. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying you guys so, were actually doing that stuff. I'm just saying as an adult, you could use that as a euphemism. This is true. This is true. So um, I jumped off of the, the tree and then I landed on the hammock, but like I didn't land on the hammock like I thought I was going to. I was violently flipped off of the hammock and I landed 
I landed on my stomach and I got the wind knocked out of me. Oh my gosh. And I felt like I was going to die. That so never that happened to the real crow. That was my first and last crow die. <laughs> but they should make a TV show called Chicago Crow and it airs after Chicago Fire and Chicago PD and Chicago Med. Who would you cast as the crow now? Because there've been so many attempts to jumpstart this franchise and recast the crow. Uh, Bradley Cooper at one point was rumored to be playing the crow. Jason Momoa, which is obviously an interesting direction for them to take it. Is there somebody now that you would cast as the crow? And keep in mind, Edward Furlong has already played him. Yeah, there is some way. Because, like, the first person that popped up in my head was Timothy Chalamet. I think he could pull it off. Oh, yeah, I could see that. He's too, like, scrawny. Yeah. He might have to pull up a little bit. but like I don't know I think if I'd buy him the... as a mechanic slash magician. I'd buy him as the magician. <laughs> Pick a card. <laughs> He's like, oh, no. <laughs> Wrong card. We're sorry to anyone French speaking, by the way, because our accents yeah. are exaggerated and offensive, but we don't know what else to do. Maybe we should just do like Nucci accents anytime we try to do <laughs> Because those only offend our Italian listeners. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I mean, like, you know, the Italians, they don't listen to the Crow cut. No, that's anymore. true. They skip it. Well, they were waiting for the... We, we bypassed the Crow 1994 and went right to Crow City of Angels. We're sorry, mm. everyone. Uh, I like the the original Crow. I don't love it. It's not my Brandon Lee movie. It's not my Alex Proyas movie. But I like it, and I, I've seen it a handful of times. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's just part of my mall DNA. Like, yeah. it's just... It's, it's a touchstone for me, for sure. And... I'm actually kind of happy that we're doing the Crow City of Angels and not the Crow because I think that, and I, I, I don't know, maybe this is just me being like a coward for admitting to this, but like I don't want to talk about Brandon Lee's death, and I feel like you have to right. if you are talking about the Crow. So like this allows us to kind of have fun with the property, right? Yes, so, I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah, but. Um, I don't know what it is. Like, I've seen this movie three times this year. And just... <laughs> well, let's talk about Mia Kirshner, uh, yeah. since she was sort of your in for this movie uh, the first time, and maybe not the subsequent two times. Um, she is doing a lot of, like, eye acting in this movie. Like, her expression doesn't really change at all. She's very quiet. She mostly acts with her eyes. Yeah, she's kind of there to be like a Tim Burton prop. Yeah. There's really not much that... It, like, her character development is basically done for her by them saying that she's Sarah from the first movie. Which I didn't it. even pick up on until I read oh, the really? Wikipedia summary. Like, Okay. Yeah, and then they keep doing, like, these callbacks with her, like, where she finds, like, this other girl who is right. looks like Newt from Aliens. She does. And it's Beverly Mitchell from Seventh Heaven, which I found out later. I didn't recognize her in the movie. And but, Saw uh, 2, right? Was she in Saw 2? I think she so. She was in one of the Saws. Was yeah, it yeah, Saw 2. Saw 2. Okay. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, because like in the first movie, Sarah was sort of this latchkey kid and like her mother was a mess and she was out on the street. And then 
Ernie Hudson was the one who watched out for her. And then now in this case, it's like Sarah's grown up and she's watching out for, for the newts of the world. So <laughs> giving them coffee and dinner and stuff like that. So I don't know. Tattoos. But um, yeah, this movie's got the line. I've tasted the blood of the crow and taken your power. <laughs> it does have that line, doesn't it? Yeah. What happens at the end of this movie? I don't even totally understand how he dispatches the main bad guy. Um, he I don't think screams that... into the sky and crows fly through him into the main bad yeah. guy, which I was then expecting like a real dark half finale where the crows like peck at him and eat him until he turns into a skeleton. But instead he just vanishes in some shitty 90s CGI. So apparently in the work print draft of this movie, he does exactly what you just described. Well, that's they what it him. fucking should be. And he turns into a skeleton. Yes. There's also a subplot where like his character went to hell and like came back from the dead like he was dead for several minutes and went to hell and that's why he says the line at the end of the movie yeah. like i've been to hell and i like i really liked what i saw and it's like when you don't have this context but you leave these lines in the movie it makes no sense whatsoever and that's why i like this movie well it turns um, into everybody speaking in one-liners because they've hacked out yeah. any any dialogue that isn't a one-liner. So it seems like David S. Goyer just wrote a script of one-liners basically. And I'm assuming that's not what he did. No, What's... no. Yeah. He, he, the, the vision in David S. Goyer's head is that this movie is like, I don't even know what to compare it to. Maybe, um, it's like a blade runner type of thing. Almost <laughs> where it's like, this, like vast mythology. And yeah, the Weinsteins are just like, make it shorter and dumber. Yeah, make it 85 minutes with credits. Um, yeah. Somebody needs to message us on Twitter or email us at fthismoviepodcast at gmail.com. If you have the work print or you have access to the work print, I would totally watch it. Um, so please yeah. hit us yeah. up. What's different in the director's cut? Do you know? Um, it's main. There's no new scenes from what I could tell. <laughs> Great. It's just, it's just longer scenes uh or longer takes of scenes in the move from the, the original cut but it does feel different like it's got even though it's only like eight minutes longer it does feel closer to the vibe that i think the work print is going for where it feels um more solemn and less pulpy and more of a like a tragedy than like a revenge movie so it's interesting, I guess, from like a compare and contrast, but like I, you know, my August, my late August movie rush, which is what I want out of the Crow City of Angels is the theatrical cut. So okay. I'm not going to go back and watch the, the director's cut un unless it's the work print one out of a curiosity. But, um, but yeah, this is, uh, I don't know, like this is the type of movie I rem I just remember, I have a lot of nostalgia for it. I didn't see it in theaters. I ended up seeing it on video. But I remember being like really pumped up for it and I tried to see it in the theaters, but then I couldn't get in, <laughs> which was weird because I was able to get in for the first crow, oh, but weird. then not for the second one. Maybe they were um, doing you a favor. Maybe. But then I was with Frank, my, my crow buddy. Right. And we were so pissed off that we couldn't see the crow city of angels that we went to the Buffalo Grove carnival and we rode the same ride and listened to heavy metal music for like an hour straight. And it was that ride where like 
it's just a circle and it goes in a loop over and over and over again. Oh, the Mary Crow round? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. where you go in a circle and get revenge for the death of a lost loved one. Gotta love it. <laughs> All right, I got a question. Yeah. If you were, if you came back from the dead as the crow... Which I'm planning to do. Good. Um... Would you ask the crow at any point, like, do I have to do the revenge thing? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I feel like that's the whole fun of being the crow is getting to do the revenge thing. I don't know. I feel like I would just want to, like, go to the movies again. Well, movie theaters are closed, unfortunately. Yeah, but if you're the crow, you don't get COVID. Oh, crow Crovid. <laughs> you get Crovid. Crovid 96. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess it depends on how I end up dying, right? If I don't have a reason to get revenge, then it's weird for a crow to bring me back and be like, squawk, take revenge, squawk. Like, I don't know. I'll be like, on who? For what? What? You know, can't I just watch Shudder? But, uh... <laughs> But if I'm, you know, murdered in some horrible way and thrown off a dock into some deep water, I guess I'll want to seek revenge on Thomas Jane while he jerks off. <laughs> Quack! I'm on Twitter! <laughs> <laughs> the crow is on TikTok. Um, <laughs> tick squawk. Um, I might take revenge on Thomas Jane no matter what. Like, no matter how I die, that might be my one goal is just to take revenge on Thomas Jane. Yeah, I hear you. There's one part of this movie that was ruined for me um, involving Mia Kirshner. It started right of... after the opening credits. and it... <laughs> Maybe for you, not for me. This movie's a gem. Anyways, um, so there's a scene at the end. It's the scene where Mia Kirshner's character gets killed, and uh, the main villain has a knife. And then she just runs toward him. And I kept thinking of the Irishman where I'm like, you charge at a guy with a gun. You run away with a knife. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Her reaction to getting killed is sort of the same reaction she has to everything else in the movie, which is just sort of glassy-eyed indifference. Yeah. No, I agree. But, I mean, like, it's a great performance because she's in Love, Light, Tonic. <laughs> right. No. That's all there, I don't there disagree. Is to it, really. I don't yeah, disagree. Yeah, that's all there is to it, really. Um, I think there's one movie – there's one part of this movie, though, I think is actually, like, kind of amazing, which is whoever did, like, the crow puppetry is, like, that's awesome looking. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like, there's the scene where he's crucified and, <laughs> like – <laughs> and it's turns all out like, this ah, will not get old <laughs> like, like shaking its head around and yeah stuff. yeah and it's like who did this like this level of detail is kind of amazing frank oz is the answer <laughs> by the way that was my childhood friend it was frank oz oh wow we dressed up like the crow yeah we dressed up like the crow <laughs> that's why frank oz went on to make Crowfinger. <laughs> Which is where the crow talks Eddie Murphy into being in a movie without him knowing it. Mm -hmm. We used to go to Crowbar in Chicago. Oh, sure. Crow. I remember. I went to Crowbar once for real because a friend of ours 
got like free passes or something and she really wanted us all to go, I was miserable the whole time except that I was with Erica like very early on in our relationship. So that part of it I liked, but like the people and the music and everything was like a nightmare. My brother used to go there all the time. He loved it there. Yeah. He, he was way into goth and the crow. He actually introduced me to the crow, like the comics a few years before the movie adaptation. So I was pretty stoked for the movie, you know, the 94 movie as well. Plus with the whole Brandon Lee thing, um, <laughs> being a fan of Brandon Lee and him playing the crow. And then unfortunately the tragedy and everything. But, uh, I was, pretty into the crow when it came out in 94 but yeah my brother was a big crowbar guy yeah yeah do you think crowbar is better or worse than the scary dance club from the crow city of angels <laughs> uh, better better yeah, i didn't yeah. like a crowbar the, the where <laughs> uh where you had to promise to take revenge in order to get a drink i thought that was weird <laughs> that was a weird policy that they had at crowbar it was also really confusing because I, I got killed by one of the drinks <laughs> and I'm just like, well, now who do I go? Into? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's a big mess. It's, it's very confusing. Um, <laughs> not confusing are the soundtracks to the crow and the crow city of angels. Cause that's almost the reason these movies exist is to sell CDs. Yeah. Kind of substantial. I mean, the, the original crow soundtrack is pretty classic. Uh, the yeah. Crow City of Angels soundtrack, I would argue, is better than the movie. I won't say that about the first one. I think. See, I I have trouble separating the two with the Crow, the original one. Um, they're both just like so much of a piece with each other. Sure. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think I might like the soundtrack a little bit more than the movie. For the, but, for the OG. Um, the Crow City of Angels soundtrack, I definitely, like, unironically really love. And, like, the movie I just ironically love. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we wanted to do a, a bit where we name our top five songs, because this is becoming a recurring theme now on our shows. Uh, our top five Crow songs. So you, so I have three different types of lists. What list did you do? Did you do, like, I just, just have City one. of Angels? or did no, or I just did I did just... one list for both soundtracks. Okay, all right, I'll do that list then. Okay. Well, I, I'm curious to hear both of your lists, uh, or all three of your lists rather. Um, all right, so the one that's the one that's combined. What's your number five? My number five is "Time Baby Three by Medicine uh, from the <laughs> Nothing you're saying makes sense to me right now. <laughs> Time Baby Three. <laughs> By medicine. <laughs> Did that help? The 90s were a different time, everyone. Uh, no, I honestly don't remember the song, so now I need to go listen to it because I, I re-listened to a couple of tracks today when I was trying to make my list, but that one I skipped because I was like, I have no memory of this song. Uh, but obviously it's, I need to go back and listen to it. It's the song that the girl sings where it's sort of like a swoony like ballad song and it's at the club when... David Patrick Kelly goes to talk to Michael Wincott at the beginning of the movie. Okay. I vaguely remember the band Medicine being a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my number five is Ghost Rider by the Rollins Band. Okay. That's uh, a good one. That was from the first movie, right? That's from the first movie, yeah. It's a cover of a suicide song. 
but I'm just a big Rollins Band fan, and I like the fact that on the soundtrack to a movie about a comic book character, there's a song about a totally different and unrelated comic book character. <laughs> That's a good point. I never thought of that. <laughs> They're like, surely they'll never make a movie of Ghost Rider. <laughs> <laughs> right. And they never did, which is kind of nope. nice. My number four is Burn by The Cure. Okay. Uh, my number four is Snake Driver by the Jesus and Mary Chain from the original Crow soundtrack. Okay. Just... Uh, my number... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. They're an awesome band, and I like all their songs. My number three... Uh, my number three and my number two are covers. So my number three is the cover of Dead Souls um, by Nine Inch Nails. That's a Joy Division song. That's a good one. My three is a cover as well. It's Gold Dust Woman by Hole from the Crow City of Angels. That's my number two. I think Gold Dust Woman is an amazing song. It might be my favorite whole song. And it's better, in my opinion, than the Fleetwood Mac version. I probably like it better than the Fleetwood Mac version, too. I don't love the song. I'm not a big Fleetwood Mac guy. Um, but I like the whole cover of it. And it's my favorite thing about the Crow City of Angels, period, yeah. is that whole song playing over the credits. I like whole. I wish... They didn't just release like two albums and disappear because I like both yeah. of their albums quite a bit, um, particularly Celebrity Skin, actually. Uh, mm. Yeah, it made me miss Hole. Yeah, I remember one time like Tom Hanks was at like a charity concert and Hole was playing and somebody asked him like what Hole or like what his, what Hole was. <laughs> and somebody asked him who is speaking of which. Tom Hanks played Larry Crow. Oh, very nice. Nicely done. He should, the Crow should be like a Larry Crown, but he's going after the people who fired him from UMart. <laughs> the Crow goes back to college, takes speech class. Yeah. That would be amazing. In Crow, and then in Crow to like, public speaking. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I call this one. It can't rain all the time. <laughs> this is called pick a card, any card. And then Julia Roberts is in the back, the back of the room, just like blowing raspberries and hungover. <laughs> um, Strung out anyway, on heroin because it's the crow. Yeah, what I was gonna say, and Iggy <clears throat> Pop is one of the students in class. <laughs> <laughs> but Tom Hanks was at this charity concert. I don't know why I remember this, but somebody was like, "What's your favorite whole song?" Because like they were playing the concert, and he was like, he didn't know any of the whole songs. And then somebody was like. Say Malibu, and he goes Malibu. It's Malibu. <laughs> <laughs> Malibu's an awesome song. It is a great song. Yeah. Um, and then my number one is Big Empty by Stone Temple Pilots. I knew that was going to happen. Uh, my yeah. number two is Burn, which was your number four. Yeah, I like The Cure. That was the first band I ever saw live. Um, and their uh, their Wish album I would put like in my top ten of all time. Uh, my number one, according to your rules, is a Sheryl Crow song, and it's "I Shall Believe." <laughs> I need. I'm I'm writing that down because I can't think of what song that is right off the bat. So "I Shall Believe" plays. Did you ever see the Pallbearer? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay, you're fine. But at the end of the movie, there's a slow dance to a Sheryl Crow song, and the song is "I Shall Believe." And I really liked that scene. I liked that movie, and I really liked that scene, and I really liked the song playing. So I stay through the credits, and I look and see who. It's called I Shall Believe by Sheryl Crow. So I now spend the better part of six months trying to track down the Paul Bear soundtrack, 
rare Sheryl Crow B-sides, singles, anywhere I can find I Shall Believe until I realize it's actually the last track of her album that I had sitting uh, on my shelf at home because it's the last song on her first CD. Oh, So I owned it all along while I was searching Tower Records for it. But uh, it's a great song. I'm listening to, yeah, I'm listening to that after we're done recording. Yeah, it's good. I, I, I do like Sheryl Crow. Um, all right, so let me hear your, your top five City of Angels songs and your top five Crow soundtrack songs. So I didn't have like a top five Crow soundtrack songs. I had a top five City of Angels, and then I had a top five where I incorporated Sheryl Crow. Oh, okay, let's the, hear those. Okay. So my top five incorporating Cheryl Crow is um, number five is Dead Souls by Nine Inch Nails from yeah. The Crow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Number four is Tomorrow Never Dies from the Tomorrow Never Dies. <laughs> That's a great underrated Bond theme. Yes, it is. My number three is My Favorite Mistake by Cheryl Crow, <laughs> um, which I like even more because I was an unplanned pregnancy. So Oh, wow. I feel like that's my anthem a little bit. So, you know. So you are your mom's favorite mistake. Yep, pretty much. Hers and Tim Matheson, who is your actual dad. Yeah, and my favorite mistake personally is The Crow City of Angels, so it comes full circle. The movie of your life is, it's like Love Light Tonica, except instead of finding out you're half Jewish, you find out you're half Tim Matheson. Ooh, Love Light Tonic Row. <laughs> How Savage did we miss that Crow. one? <laughs> um, if All right, who plays top dollar if Ben Savage is The Crow? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Ryder Strong. <laughs> yeah, I guess that makes sense, right? Yeah, you just have to put a long wig on him. <laughs> um, number two is Gold Dust Woman from yeah. Crow City of Angels. Number yeah, one yeah. is Big Empty. And then my top five from the Crow City of Angels only is number five is New York Loose by Spit. Oh, I love Spit. <laughs> I don't know spit. I didn't I didn't listen to the whole soundtrack. Yeah. I I had to hock two tickets to listen to spit. <laughs> um number four is Naked Cousin by PJ Harvey. Okay. Number three, which surprised me, it's just it's not one of their best songs, is Paper Dress by Toadies. Yeah, that I was gonna put that on my list just because I like Toadies, but it's not one of their best songs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not it, it's not one like that they play at concerts or anything. Okay. It's just kind of a soundtrack song. Yeah. Um number two is I Wanna Be Your Dog by Iggy Pop. Oh sure. Um uh, and number one is Gold Dust Woman. Nice. Nicely yeah. done. Yeah. Would you be interested if they remade the crow or do you think they should just let it lie? I would like them to leave it alone. Um It sounds like they will for a little while. Uh, but I don't anticipate they will forever just because there seems to be money to be made. Wasn't Jason Cromoa supposed to do it? He was, and Bradley Croper. <laughs> uh, silver squawking qu- playbook. <laughs> a squawk is a born. Crow is born. <laughs> a squawk is born. We could do this all day, everyone. Let's. What? What? All right. If the crow got a job in Vegas, what yeah. would it be? 
You'd be a Cropier. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Mine was not as good. I was going to say he'd work at the Cropes table, but it's more of a more of a reach than Cropier. Next next time, whenever when COVID's when COVID's over, um, <laughs> COVID's over. Let me know when you guys are going to the farmers market because I want to get some cropes. <laughs> Just so you guys know, that's supposed to be crepes. <laughs> but no, I don't know if that you. I don't know if that translates. People think you're saying crops. <laughs> Which... That's how I say that's how I say crops in French. Yeah, crops. <laughs> Uh, anything else about the Crow City of Angels? No, there's not a lot to talk about with this one. <laughs> no, as, as evidenced by this podcast where we talked about a lot of stuff that wasn't the movie. No. I've drank in the blood of the crow and now I've got your power. <laughs> I would describe this podcast as just the right mix of nonsense and opinion. Uh, we do our best and you're welcome. Everyone, <laughs> everyone please, uh, join us on March 6th for F this movie fest, six movies from 1988. Next week, we're celebrating 1988 all week long with lots of cool columns at F this movie.com. So make sure you're going every day to read all about movies from 1988. And Erica will be joining me for our best of 1988 podcast where we're both going to try and create our top 10 lists for that year. And that'll be the show next week. So that should be fun. Nice. Yeah. I need to find more recommendations for 88 movies. Cause I'm like, a spe- there are so many dramas and comedies that I missed that year. Yeah. Yeah. That's when they made like nothing but grown up movies. It was kind of weird. Yeah, I watched a couple yesterday that uh, are, I'm putting into a column that I'm writing, and I they ended, and I just was like, boy, I miss old movies. Mm. And by old movies, yeah. I mean movies from 1988. I'm not talking about <laughs> movies from 1940. I'm talking about movies from 1988 that you know cost $10 million to make and only needed to make $15 million back and were kind of targeted at grown-ups and were rated R, even though they weren't especially violent or sexual. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, those days too. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. thank you guys for listening very much. We will see you next week. In the words of Michael Wincott, let me do a quick impression for you. Bang, caw, caw, bang, fuck, I'm dead. for listening to FS Movie.